0: This is Rocky Snyder. At the tone, leave your name and message and I'll get back to you.
1: Hey Dad, I was riding my bike down this alley today and I saw this guy with a really weird walk coming toward me. I think you would call him an Alligator.
0: Welcome to the fourth season of The Rock Fit Files, I'm Rocky Snyder, and I thought a neat idea would be to dedicate this entire season to an educational approach, philosophy, coursework, however you call it, what we call it is anatomy and motion. And I've started studying it back in 2014 with two amazing teachers, Gary Ward, who is the creator and founder of the coursework itself and his protege, Chris Shritharren. And I'm going to have on this week, Gary Ward, and then the following episode next week is going to be Chris. And from that point on, every week, we'll be inviting a colleague who has been through the coursework, who has integrated all of that knowledge and experience into their professional world and get a better understanding of how it is that we take this information and make what we do more effective, more powerful, and and more long-lasting. So, Gary, welcome to The Rockford Files.
1: Thank you so much, Rocky, for what you are about to do in what is now season four. Amazing. Thank you.
0: Yes, I, I don't know if it was very popular over in in the UK, but the, James Garner in the late 70s had The Rockford Files. It was <laughs> just a, a great That's PI it. show. You know, lost yeah. on you, but there you have it. That's where the name comes from. But I... Just a, a brief background, total brief background, I got to know Gary, it was really serendipitous because I was sc- just kind of scrolling through some Facebook posts back in 2013, I came upon this excerpt from his recently released book at that time called What the Foot, and it was remarkable. It was basically giving me the information that I was yearning for, all about gate mechanics, the role that the foot plays, and the chain reaction that occurs up through the body. And not only that, but how the conventional way of moving the body or exercising was quite different than really what he was trying to Im- invoke or, or suggest. And it was along the same path that I was kind of pursuing at the time, too. So I sent away from his book and he so kindly wrote a little handwritten in, in insert in there saying, if you like what you see and read, then why not join me for a workshop? And it just so happened that only a few months later that Gary was coming to the U.S. for the very first time and teaching a course just north of San Francisco, only an hour or so north of where I live. So it, it, it just fell into my lap and I'm so glad it did because we've been friends ever since then and and student teacher all the while. You Honestly, one of my most endearing mentors of my life with the the professional knowledge that you've imparted so yeah I just can't say enough great things and honestly part of the subtitle of what the foot is it's a game-changing philosophy and you couldn't have nailed it any better than that because it really changed my career and and created a much more comprehensive understanding of the human form and motion so I want to get right into it the 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 whole project that you started back in, what, 2010 with the the creation of the flow motion model, was that basically how it began right around then?
1: Probably more, no, it was more like 2006,
0: 2007. And so
1: just to bring people up to
0: speed, when we say the flow motion model, we are talking about Gary creating this chart, this incredible spreadsheet that shows the different phases of the overall gait cycle. And there's numerous phases, but there's specific major phases we'll call, or primary phases that occur when you take a step to the very next time that same leg takes a step, It occurs in less than a second. But in that time, all the joints of your body, all the muscle tissue that connects to those bones that create the joints, have to go through three dimensional movement in, in the from one end of the spectrum to the other and what he did quite remarkably was he dedicated himself to understanding what every single joint in the body does through three-dimensional space through the entire gait cycle and that is what we call the flow motion model it is a model from which we compare people and how they move and find out what's missing in that model so you started that in two thousand six, just. Give us just a brief kind of overview as to when you started, did you know what you were getting yourself into?
1: Absolutely no idea. <laughs> Absolutely not. not. Um, I. It's such, a, it's such a long time ago. That the, the lines are, are definitely blurred. But um, there's, there was a school of thought at the time. And um, over in England, there was, we used to have FitPro Pro conventions and um, a chap called Gary Gray used to come along Um, and you'll all know Gary Gray, godfather of function and um, there was this just general idea of a leg forward and a leg back and and I really didn't know what it was about, what it was um, doing and I remember I turned up on a course, well it was an exam actually and came all the way down to London from, from my home up in Nottinghamshire in England um, and one of the guys on this course just kept kind of lunging forward and doing a three-dimensional um, well soas stretch really and, um, and I thought well that's interesting so I just tried it um, and then things felt quite good so I went home and I thought what the hell was that guy doing um, and so I started looking at the, uh, at the at the the body position, I was very uh, very 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 anatomically interested. Um, not in, unsurprisingly, but in um, in everything from uh, what it took to have a perfect neutral spine, what happened when you breathe, breathing mechanics, um, how um, it was at the time was all about core stability and how to impart that on somebody with back pain. And so I was very diligent, very careful, very caring very conscious of body position, movement, holding things still, making things move, getting everything right. Just, just, you know, really anal about the whole thing. Um, but always struggled with helping people, which was actually what people were coming to me for under the label of personal trainer at the time. So, um, it, it, that was a challenge because they come for help and it, and it was hard. So what you do as a as a young personal trainer, as you know, as you go and find a course that will help you. Um, and they weren't, they weren't coming along. So this, this kind of um, interventions bumped into uh, me um, and spent a good few months looking at things. And um, there was a moment where there was a, a kind of disagreement between um, something that I was seeing and something that somebody else was seeing. But I discovered that what somebody else was seeing was what somebody else had told them. Um, So they weren't seeing what I was seeing because they were seeing what they'd been told. And this was a huge moment for me when I realised that I actually, if I want to understand this properly, I'm going to have to work it out myself because I can't rely on people seeing things that they thought they had been told that that guy who had told them thought was correct. So that was me. I need to work this out on my own. And I just started. and uh, to fill the gap uh, from the Gary Gray mentioned was <laughs> all there was was talk of a leg forward and a leg back. And I was desperate to know how the leg got from being at the front to being at the back and becoming the front leg again, because it's a cycle. It is the gait cycle. So um, you already mentioned what we're really interested in is what's missing. And I was just intrigued by what was missing. So. Um, the world of gate has been around for a long, long time. The model of gate has been around for a long, long time um, and um, but working with people in the gate cycle upright in motion and in the closed chain, that was a very new thing that wasn 't something that was happening. Um, we had uh, a lot of Paul check work at the time who I was a huge fan I still 'm a huge fan of uh, of any of Pauls work um, and that was very much um you know once you'd isolated and stabilized your core then you would move into an integrating pattern um, and pretty much soon you'd be looking at working with three planes of motion in a lunge format with a medicine ball but very controlled very stable um and it was the stable bit that just kept nagging me because I just in my head movement isn't stable and um one day, in the pursuit of all of this, um, if anyone 's listened to other podcasts they 'll know that I started life as a as a ski boot fitter, and I bumped into another ski boot fitter who actually owned a shop uh, a shoe fitting shop and a ski boot fitting shop in London called Profeet. and his name was hamish wolfenden and he introduced me to the force plate, the force platform that where we can see pressures on people 's feet and we got on like a house on fire and um It was, it was looking at force plates that helped me to suddenly see that when somebody is standing still, they are perpetually still in motion on the inside and they're calm and they're minding their own business and they're stood on a force plate and they're not moving to their own mind, but the machine is seeing movement everywhere. And that, that was it for me. That was, we are never stable, ever, ever stable. Um, And so why, why would we spend time trying to be that thing that we're not? Um, And the more I looked at it, the more I realised that if you actually look at somebody's skeletal structure, the chance of it being neutral, i.e. evenly weight distributed between the left foot and the right foot, evenly distributed between your toes and forefeet and your heel, pelvis in the right position, spine upright, nobody's like that. And so all of the stability was just locking us into these disorganised postures. And the force plate just showed us all of that. And and, and for me, that was a huge treat. And to be able to watch them walk. And when you watch them walk over a force plate, there's this little white line that runs from heel to toe. And it's called the center of pressure curve. And that center of pressure curve, as Hamish pointed out to me, was indicative of moments in time in the gait cycle. And he had four moments in time. And um, he likened them to uh, the... um, well, then he gave them the names according to a car, and so he had. Um, I think it was braking, then suspension, and then um, shift, like the gear shift, and then um, propulsion. And so you'll know that we I kept a few of the uh, kept a few of the words, and so we had these four phases, and and, and effectively, it was, braking was when you put your heel on the ground, initial contact. So a normal gait cycle has a heel strike. The second part of a normal uh, perceived gait cycle is is when the foot goes flat. So they call it foot flat. And that was where um, Hamish called it suspension. And so we took suspension because that's where the body absorbs most of the shock. Uh, So in order to do that and experience that moment well, your foot needs to be able to adapt in a mobile way to the ground. Um, And then you have ankle flexion, knee flexion, hip flexion. Um, And you'll watch the whole skeleton just concertina into this shock-absorbing posture. And then, um, interesting, which we can come to later, that has this huge impact on the muscles. Suddenly, the vast majority of muscles in the body in that moment lengthen. They gain length. And then the response to that length is a contraction, which started to form the laws that I was seeing. So these laws, these uh, muscles contract, and they would lift the body up tall, and the weight would come from the left foot and move into the right foot, which is what he called the shift. You can see it on the uh, pressure curve and then the toe off would be propelling forward. So, um, Hamish unfortunately passed away a good number of years ago now and kind of, um, left me with all these drawings of, of a, uh, a four, a four phase model. Um, that was born out of looking at the the foot plates. So I kept with the foot force plates and I kept with uh, the models. And it was once teaching, actually, when Hamish was still alive, I was teaching uh, live in the classroom and I was showing them how the, the body and the structure will go from this heel strike moment into that suspension moment where we absorb all the shock. And I was about to describe how they enter into shift and all of a sudden I went, oh, there's something else just happened here. The foot now has an opportunity to start supinating from its pronated position. We start later called that uh, resupination in the book. While the tripod is on the ground, the foot is supinating and the body is standing up tall. And I called it the transition from suspension into shift. You're transitioning um, and transition is where everything changes, which is where all of those muscles that we described in suspension a minute ago all long, they all get to go short. And any bone that's traveling in this direction, gets to travel in the opposite direction. So it's it's a moment where everything changed in the gait cycle. So that was like a huge, like Eureka uh, moment for me. And of course, in all of this, we're starting to build that idea from how my leg got in front of me to how my leg got behind me. And then when it took off the ground again, um, it rolled forward into into this leg swing. So um, long story short, I suppose we've been teaching, um, as you know, the five phases. So we changed, the name is to be strike where, where you heel strike initial contact with the calcaneus on the ground suspension phase, which is the shock absorbing phase already mentioned transition phase, which is the one that I uncovered where everything changes in, in the structure. Um, and the body is, um, it's almost like a rest point for the muscles um, and an opportunity to experience a really neutral position in your body. And then a shift phase, which is where you shift your weight from your left foot to your right foot, um, and then propelling, so the actual moment just before toe-off, um, where the two metatarsals are still on the ground. Um, and then we come into early swing, and then we come into late swing before we come back to, to strike. And then, interestingly, as time builds, um, we have um, the question is what's happening in between each one of those moments, and, and ultimately there's, there's 12 phases um, that have been mapped and documented to, to complete this model, um, and it took 11 years to get from one to to the to the last one. And
0: well, and it takes many years to really digest all the information that you just put forth in the last five minutes. Uh, I I try to myself kind of share that with people from time to time, whether it's on other podcasts that will have me. And it's, it's just a lot of information to try and disseminate to the cool. listening audience. So don't feel, for those listening, don't feel like you shouldn't be overwhelmed because you should. It's a tremendous amount. What I heard you say, two things that are remarkable is one, that. Early on, you were brave enough to question the conventional thought that was out there at the time that were in publications, textbooks and the like, and that professors, teachers, whatnot, were teaching this information, but it was incomplete or, or erroneous, wrong, however you'd like to say it, and that it was only because that information had been carried over from one generation to the next without truly considering or, or observing truly how the, the body moves. And the, the other part, and you continue to do that, actually, uh, by going along with Hamish and then discovering the phase of transition and actually going, oh, wait a minute, there's more than just what I have been taught or led to understand. So two major landmark moments in going, okay, I'm going to actually experience it in my body or observe it somewhere else. And does that correspond to what I've been taught? And, and some of those times there, there you go, those epiphanies.
1: In each each case, um, it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't complete. And, and, um, there was an insufficiency to all of that information. It wasn't complete. It wasn't rounded off and it wasn't a full stop at the end. Um, and as you know, um, even when we talk about working with clients, um, it's it's not it's we look for what's missing we don't look for what they've got and try to make it better we look for what they haven't got we look for what they need we look for what's missing so until we can put a full stop at the end of that of that client's um life cycle with you 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 continually keep going um and and what's missing i think has just been a huge huge part of my i probably have to say life more than more than just anatomy it's always been about filling a void. If I could feel a void, I would want to. I would want to fill it. I would move into it and explore it so that I can understand it rather than hide away from it. And 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 I think that's been a huge part of my own of my own journey. And so, um, still, to this day, bold statement, but um, the flow motion model is known by very few people, comparative to the amount of people in in our industry. And still, the vast majority of information that is beyond the anatomy emotion motion conversation is still insufficient. And, and I see it every single day. Um, the people touting their messages believe they're accurate. And for the most part, they are. But there's just more to it. There's more to see. And it would be lovely to be able to lift the veil almost uh, for as many people as possible. So they get to see what I believe is actually um, born as the truth of human movement. And um, the truth comes from... One, from getting a sense of completeness from from the work, um, the effectiveness of the work, obviously. Um, But all the way down, Rocky, all the way down to the fact that we can safely say that all of the movement that we describe in the human body is not an opinion. It's actually formed from the shape of the bones themselves. And and that's just such a wonderful thing is to be able to say, "I'm, I'm not saying this because I think it, I'm saying it because it's the only thing that can possibly happen. Um, And when you bump into moments um, of investigation where you can see that thanks to the shape of the bones, this movement has to happen, and then this is a movement that people are condemning or people are saying is not useful or people have described as evil uh, or something that we should cut out and eliminate, you start to go, hang on. Because there is not a single movement that our body is not set up to be able to do, it has a timing for it, it has a moment for it, it has a reason for it, um, and and for us to take that away from the human in our therapeutic processes is denying them the freedom that they that their bones have been craving for for for, for their whole life that they've they've been making these bones since they were born, right? Um, I have a and sense that you're
0: you're alluding to. A foot that whose arches are going too far, quote unquote, to the ground, overly pronating or a knee that's traveling valgus as it flexes or, or even you know, oh. scoliotic shift, you know, yeah. all these things, right? These are things that are actually part of our, our human nature of movement and that should mm-hmm. be experienced. The only the trouble problems. is that some people get fixated in them. And either don't know how to drop in and get out or, or or whatever the case may be and so we we say well you shouldn't be doing that that's bad that's that's kind of what you're saying
1: yeah, absolutely and, and just to, to, to build to add on to that, that i think one of the most fascinating things for me was um um let's say there are various conditions like you just said scoliosis um there are four foot varus Compressed sacroiliac joints, there are um, uh, think, think of something else, um, compressed suboccipitals, <laughs> anything like this. Um, and, and every single one of those things that I just said shows up in the gait cycle. You have to have it. You cannot complete an efficient flowing gait cycle If you do not allow your forefoot to go varus, if you do not compress a suboccipital, if you do not compress a hip and a sacroiliac joint, if you do not allow a scoliotic moment in the spine, the problem is, and the problem that we always bump into, is when people are stuck in those for a long time. And so then it's all about timing. If you get the timing of these movements right, and as you just mentioned, you get in and you get out, you, you set people free, when you get stuck in these things and you can't get out of them. You, you reduce the flow, you reduce the inefficiency, and you put tension into the muscle system and compression into the joints. And then we have people recording problems, not everybody. Some people have got very distorted structures and, and never have any pain and, and good luck to them. Um, but what does that mean for their future? Um, and can we, in terms of athletes, could we, could we use what we know to help people reorganize their postures to be more efficient? And then people with pain, can we reorganize their postures to be more comfortable? Um, but yeah, for me, the model has thrown up so many things that um, they really question a lot of the evidence that is out there. Um, they can, but there are certain things that we can disprove, I think, from the model, which is some long, a long-term kind of project. Um, and um, it, yeah, it's, it's just been utterly fascinating, utterly fascinating.
0: I got to say the epiphany, that, that light bulb moment that occurred those many years back when I first started reading your book was what you just described in regards to all of these postural distortions, for lack of a better word, because it's not really distorting. It's a postural motion that we're able to achieve. But I'm seeing people and trying to help realign their posture with exercise leading up to that point. And I'm seeing all of these variations to alignment. And when I read that every single one of those distortions will have a place somewhere in the gate cycle, that was the moment that I had found I'm going, "Oh my gosh, yeah. that's honestly the most brilliant thing I had heard in in my entire life at that oh. point going that was incredible it, it just it gave me a And understanding so much more that, and it gave me the appetite to learn all about the gait cycle. If this is going to truly occur, I need to know when this is occurring, because if I could place a person in that position and guide them through those movements, it would be so much better than laying them on their back and activating this muscle or that muscle, which leads us to the next thing that i'm thinking of is when you were exploring these movements you were not exploring what each muscle does even though what brought you to that was watching somebody do a three-dimensional psoas stretch you know initially it was all about the muscle but very quickly you converted that mindset into what are the bones doing which Mm. is in itself not to make your head swell any further than you know you got double doors in your home i hope because then you'll never be able to leave after this but i 'm just i 'm just amazed that it, to consider the bones moving, it seems so of course, when you consider it, it seems so obvious, but if I just watch one joint move, then I get a better sense of what all the surrounding tissue has to do to accommodate that movement, and here we are still in the The old-fashioned modality, whether it's movement therapy or manual therapy, physical therapy, or even to some degree chiropractic care, and and all the rest of them, we're, we're looking at individual muscles or small groups of muscles, and we're targeting them as this is the issue or this is the problem, when in fact, it's not really the most effective way of getting change to occur. If we can focus on the skeletal system, as we say in America, Yes, the skeletal. You could say whatever you want to do. It's just it's so much more. I don't want to use the word powerful, but much more all encompassing. How about that? Yeah. So when when you started looking at the bones, did 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 you what did you understand that when you did you make that shift over? Like when you stopped looking at the muscles and started looking at We're, the bones.
1: Everyone like, is obsessed that? with muscles. We're still obsessed with muscles. Everyone's obsessed with muscles. If you did weight training as a as a young adult, you're obsessed with muscles. Um, and we all learn what a muscle does, it moves a bone. Um, but when you, again, just back to the gait cycle, and when you start looking, um, there's this idea before I do that, but there's this idea that a muscle will, um, we, will shorten it in order to make it effective. Um, And when looking at the gait cycle, as you're um, observing the movement of these bones, the, the, the first thing that I worked out about the muscle before I really got obsessed with the bones is that the muscles are contracting from their most lengthened position, always. There's never a moment where a muscle in the gait cycle contracts from neutral to short ever so so the the first shocking thing was that you know you don't use a psoas to lift your bring your knee up and 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 bring your leg forward you use your psoas to bring your leg forward from its most most lengthened position which is when it's obviously the hip is obviously an extension um, and there's three dimensions to, to that so in order to bring my leg forward i have to get length into it first same with the glutes in order to make the glute active the glute will contract when it is in its most lengthened position Abs, when they're in their most lengthened position. Rhomboids, when they're in their most lengthened position. And you start to realize well, um, that, that the posture that people are in or the limitations that they're having are down, down to them not actually being able to get their skeleton into that position in order to give that muscle an option to contract from a lengthened position. So, so you suddenly you're like, wow, I need to look at the bones. I needed to see what the bones were doing in order to see if I could then stimulate that tissue to wake up. And, and the reason we use the word wake up is because notoriously people would say muscles are sleepy, dormant, you know, that kind of language. Um, and, and, but you could switch a muscle on. You could get a muscle to be more effective, not by poking it or teaching it to contract, but by lengthening it. And I don't mean in a stretch way. <laughs> so stretching didn't really work. And the reason stretching doesn't work is because you don't give a chance for the bones to move in a way that allows the muscle to contract. And I think if you're looking at everything, you described it actually wonderfully, but the the footstep is 0.6 to 0.8 seconds long. In that window of 0.6 to 0.8 seconds, every single bone in the human body goes to both ends of its direction in all three planes, flex and extend, adduct and abduct, internally and externally rotate for pronates and supinates. Some things, knees flex twice in the cycle. All of this stuff is happening inside 0.6 to 0.8 seconds. And uh, all the muscles that are attached to that, in order for that to be effective, must lengthen and shorten in the same time window, every muscle in all three dimensions. That's like a huge amount of stuff going on. Um, So I always laugh when people say, I've come to to watch people, you know, in gait. And I always say, good luck with that one. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, unless you're like a rain man or something. Um, And so we, you know, have to slow it down. And that's part of the pun in flow motion is slow motion uh, um, to look at that, but um, getting these muscles then the awareness was that if we can actually get the bones to move in the way they're intended to, then all of the muscles have to follow suit. Like you said, there are 13 muscles attaching to a knee. So if you can teach that knee to flex and extend in the appropriate way with a foot pronating and supinating, all of those muscles would be involved rather than working on one. And and I think as I got older with the work, we see people working on individual muscles, but not actually affecting the, the joint integrity and the joint's potential to move. And the reason you can work on one muscle and not affect the joint is because that joint is not communicated to by the muscle it's communicating to other joints above and below. So say the hip for the knee and the foot for the knee. And actually it's the joints as a collective unit that are the ones communicating to the muscle. And that led to the rule joints act and muscles react. Um, And closely coupled with the first rule, which was the, the euphoric moment of wow, muscles contract from a lengthened position in movement always, which you can watch just watching a leopard run in slow motion on YouTube. You can see that, um, or sprinters. Um, and that, And the first rule was that muscles lengthen before they contract. And so, bringing muscles lengthen before they contract, not the other way around, and joints act, muscles react, not the other way around, into the equation, we suddenly had a new side of the coin that needed to be considered. And that's not to say that the other side is incorrect, because of course I can contract a muscle, move a joint. Of course I can uh, shorten a muscle before I lengthen it and we'll do that for various activities, but gross global integrated closed chain movement, you'll never see it happen.
0: And something that we had a conversation not too long ago, I believe, or maybe I was just listening to one of the educational platforms, I don't recall which, but <laughs> we're talking about, because I just listened to all the time, is that every sport and athletic pursuit and competition is really dictated by the human form, which sounds obvious, but when you think about it, there's only so many ways in which we can create variations of movement, and we have to stay connected. It's not like our appendages are detachable, necessarily, to create a completely new kind of movement, and therefore, every single pursuit of humankind is really predicated on how we fundamentally move, which, of course, is the gait cycle, which we've been doing for I and mean, if we just think of modern humans for 60,000 years, but beyond that to Australopithecus, we're talking maybe two point something million years of evolution and adaptation. So it's something that has been so hardwired into our system that it only makes sense when we think about improving performance, let's say in the athletic field that we should be comparing all movements, at least back to the, the grandparents of, of gait. And it's yeah. fascinating that I keep having talks with people in the fitness industry that as well, for one, as soon as I bring up gait, it's overwhelming. They, they don't want to learn it because there's so much to it, which is yeah. really a, quite a, a disservice to themselves. And so they are limited in their approach without having that knowledge at their at their disposal. But It's really interesting to see the types of approaches that are out there that are dictating or creating programs based on laying on your back and lifting your leg or balancing on a two by four or whatever the case may be, things that we don't commonly do. It just makes sense that whether you're a movement therapist, a manual therapist, chiropractor or whatnot, it would be a great idea to understand the human relationship of joint action. And so... As we go deeper into understanding the anatomy of movement or anatomy and motion and that flow motion model, you, you encouraged, I know Laura Richards, I'll, I'll mention Laura right here because she's my hero or heroine. She was the first to accomplish the 100-day challenge, which is filling out the, the spreadsheet of the flow motion model, which contains 400 plus boxes every day on a, a day-to-day basis for 100 days and she was the one that broke the mold there and i followed her footsteps with it and as i did that i i just saw so many other underlying relationships that i hadn't even considered or been aware of but it's so much more than just simply watching joints move it's understanding that there's certain segments of the body that are identical in their movement in every motion or every every phase in the Gates cycle. So when you started to find those relationships out, that must've been like a kid in a candy store. I mean, you must've been, but you had very few people to yell from the rooftops and, and shout Eureka, right? So it's gotta be frustrating at the same time. It was just mind blowing. Can you recall a few times like that?
1: Oh, countless. Um, um, it- I almost have to correct you a little bit what the uh, as I, um, I remember teaching you mentioned already that Chris is going to Chris and I've been teaching you at every at every moment but before there was a time before Chris where I was he came on a course as a student and then I invited him to come and sit on a few courses um, and after a few he started um, hearing things differently like you say so there's a surface level of what the of what the model is and then the more you look at it, like anything, the, the more clarity you get, the more depth there is, the more insight there is, the more relationships you see, the more you can uh, make this see how this communicates with that. Um, and um, he came; he used to come up to me on on a break, and he'd go, "Have you ever have you noticed this? Have you noticed that?" And um, and that and some of those moments, I was like, "Oh wow, I hadn't actually seen that myself." So I was, you know, it, the. the there, there was a place when when Chris joined in and started to to put his input in that it escalated again in term, in our heads and in terms of clarity um and actually the the evolution of that has gone from being a very exercise based um movement thing which is what I was doing in the early days to evolving into a very therapeutic model um uh, as a result of a lot of the insight that that he brought to the table as well uh, which we would obviously then Put our heads together, and and then I would typically go and sit down and map out um, the the, uh, the next version of whatever that little nugget of information unfolded. Um, but so there were so many exciting moments. Um, we have. Can you thing... give a
0: couple of examples? Just a couple of examples that either he was blown away, you were blown away, or collectively.
1: <laughs> um, my favourite one is um, is uh, when we laid out. The, the the gate phase on post it notes little yellow post it notes on the floor and we and we were we were looking at how they they communicate and and as we were laying them out on the floor this is while teaching a course and set everybody out on a little task and we were just sticking uh, these down and and it became clear that there were relationships not just from one phase to the next but in between the other phases and um and I could see it but I couldn't really um see it if you like, but I t- took it home and sat up till there were several occasions where I just sat up until two or three in the morning, just mapping stuff out. You just couldn't put it down. And then, um, and, and you'll know we have a thing called the ghost phase, um, which we don't talk about too often, but it just excites me that um, this ghost phase is, is you have, you have the, the, the phase you're, uh, let's look, let, you, you have the phase that you're interested in and you know that that is going to impact on the phase that it happens next. So anything, if, if you've got a phase in your, a moment in time when you're on your foot and there's a, mo- a moment to follow, how well you do the preceding moment is going to dictate how well you do the next one. And then you've got this other leg. So your right leg, how well you perform that phase on the right leg is going to mean that you can perform the, the phase on the left leg better. Um, and then the, the left leg has, you know, is affected by the, the one behind it. And, and so all of a sudden, there were, we were able to see how this moment on my left leg could actually be holding back this moment in future time on my right leg, which means that that's why this person's neck hurts. <laughs> and, and it was like, oh my god! Um, and and over time, you learn to navigate uh, the system, uh, and it's very exciting. And people would always wanted to know, you know, what the advanced stuff is, what the what that that level of detail in the work is. And we used to just have, we've always had to, unfortunately, draw a line, which is you when, you'll be ready when you're ready but as you already said it takes so long to to master understand appreciate not just to be able to write the model out a hundred times but to know how to to use it at each moment with with anybody um to be able to navigate their system etc it's a huge huge model um and you know we're embarking on uh, delivering this online now because we're in uh, covid 19 times and, um, and the, sad, the sad thing for me, delivering it online is, 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 is uh, and I'm looking forward to building more, don't get me wrong, I think it's a huge necessity to, to do it. But there is this, if I, watch, if, I, if I watch the program online and then in order to um, appreciate what I'm learning, I might go and learn something else somewhere else from someone else and start to bump into conflicting information. Because the information from the model does not match what anybody else is talking about. Outside of outside of this work, and so I, I, I see conflict. I see people picking it up, putting it down, working on other um, elements, maybe easier, maybe more accessible. But I want people to know that the value—if you spend your time working hard inside this model and getting the basics right first—there's a huge, huge opportunity for you in the in the in the work that you that you're really passionate about. Um,
0: and all, all fairness, though, it, it, everything you say, spot on in terms of the complexity and the amount of time it takes to truly get a deeper sense of uh, comprehension and the ability to work with such a complex model. However, it doesn't mean that you can't start. And and just getting a little bit of that information and applying it to your work can be game-changing and and then as time goes by you you get more tools more understanding a a greater degree of experience working with people with this model and the 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 leaps of efficacy become beyond linear almost to the point of exponential so it doesn't require to wait and study for years and years before applying it you just apply it as soon as you gain a a base understanding. and Because ultimately, here's here's one of those things. I I love to relay the story of, of my son as he pursues his black belt in karate. His sensei had been studying karate for 60 plus years. And at one point in time, he obviously became a black belt. But over the course of years after attaining that, the belt started wearing over and wearing out until the point where there was no more black on the belt and it was just this white belt and i thought what a beautiful analogy that the the beginner becomes the master and in the end it just all reverts back to what he learned at the beginning and he's once again a white belt and and with the the pursuit of of learning knowledge so on what has come to me in the last i don't know year or two was that we really only have two options don't we uh, when yeah. it comes to movement, we're either landing on the planet or we're leaving the planet. And
1: yeah. if we can
0: just boil those two components down, what do we do when the body pronates and lands and absorbs impact? And what does it do when it does the opposite and pushes us away? I mean, once we get that understanding, that's a gold mine in itself. Absolutely, yeah. But and it took years it, to get to, yeah. right? Yeah, It, it also, took yeah.
1: years it does, to get to. I wanted to say earlier, after you, it is it is complex, it is hard work, but it's also ridiculously simple work. <laughs> and it's uh, how do you have that? And that's because it, it is all ends of the spectrum. And uh, and I think you've just put that lovely. Uh, for the majority of people who, who have problems in their body, if you map their body out, and what we mean by that is work out how their pelvis rests in space, how their ribcage and spine rest in space, how their skull rests in space, shoulder girdle, and what their feet look like on the ground and where their foot pressures are, if you map that into the gait model, you will find that your client either struggles to get left leg forward or right leg forward. And, and <laughs> that's it. That could be their neck discomfort. That could be their shoulder. That could be and, and being able to just give them that experience, not just put your right leg forward, do a right leg lunge, but when you put your right leg forward, the foot needs to pronate in order to pronate there's 26 bones that need to go into these positions in three dimensions we need to flex your ankle flex your knee there's a rotation in the knee that we need to pay attention to that affects the pelvis blah 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 there's muscles lengthening the whole body you know each that is how um, particular we we are and it's not just about you know a right foot forward but ultimately that will that was that is going to sort the vast majority of people out
0: Honestly, it was the exact same thing that happened this morning with me. I had an appointment with a gentleman who came in to see me. He had tried numerous other uh, approaches, and he was complaining of left groin pain. He wakes up with it. He goes to bed with it. It's there constantly. And his left Achilles tendon had been bothering him. And not to give too great of a history, but he had surgery on both feet, and Years after one another, he had dislocated his shoulder, and so on, and his body subconsciously created a strategy to get around these issues and experiences in life to put him in a position where he now was encountering these symptoms and Of course, you traditionally the, you would go see somebody and they would look where the symptoms are and not at the whole body well it it just came down to. Well, putting him on the force plate, it shows that he's really over his right leg, and he doesn't experience much on his left leg. And what if we were to just have his left leg forward? And and then what happens, just like you say, can, can the foot behave in such a way? Well, we'll put maybe a wedge or two to see if it'll behave a little bit better and get those bones moving in just the right way. And is the ankle moving now? Is the knee moving now? It's, but I kid you not, as soon as he pus- put his left leg forward and began loading onto that leg by bending into the knee and bringing his weight onto that left foot, he stopped dead in his tracks. And he just stared down at me and our masked faces. And I said, is there something wrong? Does that hurt? He said, no, I don't feel it. And it was the first time he had found a position where he did not experience pain. Mm -hmm. He forgot all about his Achilles. He was focused on his (laughs) hip. And Mm -hmm. so we said, okay, well, if loading onto your left leg gives you good relief or you're starting to experience, Experience something that you haven't been, what would it be like in the next step, literally, so to speak, uh, in the next phase of this, which would be that transition you spoke of earlier. Can I get him to truly get into his left leg and bring weight onto it? And he walked around after that. And he was just said, this is, I've gone from a 10. I think I might be at a one. I don't want to say zero because I'm afraid to say zero, but I'm just going to say okay. one. And he walked away a completely different person, all because he learned how to get his left leg forward.
1: Yeah, something that he will not have chosen to do, consciously or unconsciously, due to limitations in his body, due to his history, due to his habitual movement, for a long, long time. And you're the first person to give him that opportunity. And and the brain and the body love that freedom so much, they just drink it like a parched man.
0: I love it. I love it. It was just something that was, like you say, there's so much complexity to it, but ultimately it was, could he just bring his left leg forward? And yeah. and unfortunately, you know, this is not something that is studied in medical school. In fact, they spend a total of two weeks studying biomechanics out of the entire span of years becoming a doctor. We won't even mention nutrition. I think that might be two hours of studied <laughs> material there. But- it's not something either. I mean, to some degree, it's it's opening up the doors in physical therapy, as I see it, physiotherapy, who, with the help of fellows like Gary Gray and and others, are starting to see more physical therapists in this region look yeah. at the body as an integrative unit as a whole and not necessarily feel confined to just look at this one painful segment of the body and expect to just do some manual therapy, ice and stim and send them on its way. There's still Definitely. plenty of dinosaurs. of
1: People talking about feet and being upright and uh, gait, like you said, is, is a big thing. And it, the the concern is that it gets a bit fatty
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: and oh, you know, it's another gait person. Um, but actually, this the, the, is where the detail is. And um, I think the model, um, what I'm looking forward to in the future, is, is that people would actually be able to look at an actual model of GATE because the existing one um, is very two dimensional. Um, and I think, interestingly, if you try to match current scientific paradigms and put GATE to scientific works, you don't actually get a flowing gait cycle. You have problems. So if, you, if, if you've if you got, um, whereas when you actually, what I'm trying to say is when people, uh, the people that are being used for scientific evidence and data on force plates are not walking very well <laughs> because they are not adhering to the model. And so the the science doesn't spit out the model because we're monitoring people who don't walk very well. Yes, and
0: and of course, and, and how they're monitoring and observing them, half the time is on a treadmill, which is going to completely throw the mechanics off because the world does not revolve around you like it does on a treadmill. So the way in which your body responds to that is going to be quite different in many respects. So now we're basing this information on incomplete or incorrect information or the other people that are coming out as the gate guy experts or whomever they are you know, it's, it's becoming much more fashionable to talk about the feet and gait. And so where are they getting their information, but from the incomplete traditional knowledge that you earlier observed that, well, that's actually not that's really, really what's yeah. happening.
1: Yeah. 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 So. So there's a long way to go.
0: There it's is, but at least we're taking the right steps forward. Here's, here's mm-hmm. more of those puns. here. And I don't mean to have it be <laughs> that way, but talking about moving into the future, You've already discussed like doing courses online, which is very challenging. I know some other teachers of mine that have been very reluctant to do so because actually being present in the room is a major part of learning. And to be just having virtual communication, albeit with with video, is still lacking to some degree. But moving into the future, I guess we should also mention to those not familiar with anatomy and motion, you've, you've got some really great educational videos for the general population to help encourage awareness of the body. And in so doing, a byproduct would be a reduction or elimination of chronic or acute pains that are created because of how somebody may create an improper strategy of moving and then eventually yeah. it turns into pain. So you've got wake up the body and the feet and what else would...
1: Wake your body up and wake your feet up. So um, also... Very, very uh, good feedback from those. Um, And they are um, all around the idea of taking ownership of your body, which is something we haven't actually mentioned. Um, But recognising that if you can begin to do gentle movement yourself that will help you access this gait cycle we've been talking about, you'll be able to reduce the tensions and compressions in your own system have a more efficient way of moving, get more access to your right leg and left leg evenly, um, etc, etc. So you're actually able to do this on your own in your living room in front of a screen guided by me in the Wake Your Body Up program. The Wake Your Body Up is looking at the pelvis upwards and the Wake Your Feet Up is looking at the um, leg uh, pelvis downwards. Um, And instead of the usual strengthen your arches, um, scrunch towels, do tiptoes, lacrosse ball under the arch. Instead of the, that's all the standard stuff, we're actually taking the opportunity to teach you how to use these wedges that you've talked about to um, interrupt movement, slow movement down, speed movement up so that you get the appropriate movement in as many bones as you physically can in your feet, which is what wakes the muscles up and allows the legs to move differently, which will speak to the pelvis and on upwards into your spine. So it's been interesting because I've had people with back problems and say, I've been working through wake your body up, but it's not really that helpful. And we've switched them on to wake the feet up and they've had great results and vice versa. People with feet problems, I'm saying this, you've done all of the stuff with the feet, your problems not in your feet, unfortunately. Jump on to wake your body up and and they report back that 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 was the thing that did the trick. So putting the two together is also a huge um, part of the process. And that's one of the reasons why we've kept them very inexpensive, um, hopefully, um, and highly accessible. So wake your body up and wake your feet up. Yeah, that's uh, uh, those two. And then obviously we've got the online education that we've just begun that you just mentioned. Um, which, and this is a um, a world exclusive on the RockFit podcast because nobody's been told this yet, but we have now got um, um, an exam process and CPD global CPD um, points for uh, for the courses. So that's a huge, a huge win for us. Hopefully,
0: fantastic. So if you want more information. Uh, findingcenter.co.uk and center is spelled the english way with the r e at the end of center so findingcenter.co.uk and you can get all information about the coursework the wake your body up wake your feet up or is it wake up your body wake up your feet i can never get those around
1: wake your body up
0: we're going to wake it up no matter what. Well, Gary, okay, this, this has been a great a great hour for me. I really appreciate you sharing some time with me. Um, like always, it just, it, it, it's, it just deepens my friendship and, and respect for you. And what I'd like to do, if you're okay with this, we haven't really spoken to it, but I'll put you on the spot here then, is that I'd like to invite you back at the end of this season kind of as the, the book ends between all of your students oh, yeah. and just kind of have like a finale of season four here, which That'll will occur probably sometime in January.
1: And I'd equally be excited to hear what, what all of our fellow students have got to say, because the interesting part is they all come from different backgrounds yes. and they all apply the model in their own way. Um, and. I think that's a very unique part of this model as well is there's not one way to work with it but there's a way a way that it can work with whatever modality you're you're coming from so i'm really excited to hear from them and, and grateful for you putting this out there because um it's yeah it's a wonderful step thank you very much
0: oh it's my pleasure all right well we'll speak to you another time If you'd like to find out more information about the flow motion model, anatomy and motion courses, or Gary Ward himself, pick up a copy of his book, What the Foot, at findingcenter.co.uk. And while you're at it, pick up a copy of my book, Return to Center, where I take the flow motion model and apply it to strength, training, and conditioning. You can get a copy of that at rockysnyder.com. Thanks for listening.